we're going to just, we're not having a party. Uh, no Voice of San Diego election night party this time. No. No. <laughs> Elections um, are somber occasions wherein we observe our constitutional rights and sometimes panic. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor in chief at Voice of San Diego. Joined as always for this special pre election show, Andrew Keats. Hello, Andy. Hi, Scott. And Sarah Libby, managing editor. Hello, Sarah. Hello. We have a lot to talk about today. So excited. The Voice poll is out. Our first ever poll of San Diego residents. A commission poll. We didn't just call a bunch of people to see what they thought. We didn't just call a bunch of sources we had. We commissioned a scientific poll of public opinion, and it's all ours, not anybody else's. It's coming out. We've been releasing it all week. We'll talk about what we did and why we did it and some of the results. Those results include some interesting things about housing, police funding, and, of course, the two biggest political races that we're watching as an institution this what, four days from now, three days, two days? It, it's, it's close enough. You can feel it. You can see it on the horizon. But it, Are you really confused about how many days it is? Well, when this show comes out, all the, when you're going to hear it, you know, people are, you know, I, wanna, I don't want to mislead anybody about, about yeah. the time. I mean, it's not, it's not two. It isn't two days. <clears throat> Fine. Uh, Me- measured, measured from any beginning point, it's not two. Then on the <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> On the second half of the show, the election draft is back. We'll have three rounds where we each choose races we think are the most important, exciting, maybe just the most interesting races to watch. We are open to local races and ballot measures as well as the state ones. Uh, I think that we'll use that same formation then on election night to go through how results look so far as we reverse engineer that. But let's get right to it. The voice poll. This week we released or started releasing our first ever scientific poll through FM3 Research. We uh, commissioned them and uh, and got the results back. I think it was Monday when we started getting it. Uh, we surveyed San Diegans about a number of races, or two races, uh, the city mayor's race, San Diego city mayor's race, and the district three county supervisor race. But uh, those two have their own samples, essentially, which uh, combined. And then we did a big one for the whole region about a number of different topics. We started this week to result some of, to uh, report out some of those results. But let's start, Andy, with uh, the San Diego mayor's race. Councilwoman Barbara Bree is running against Assemblyman Todd Gloria. Todd Gloria has a ton of different institutional endorsements. Everything went right for him for several months of this race for a long time, really. Got all the major endorsements, Chamber of Commerce, Labor, Democratic Party. But uh, uh, Barbara Bree has stitched together a coalition of her own. What did the results of the poll show? 36% of likely voters support Assemblyman Gloria. 32% of likely voters support Councilwoman Bree. And 32% of reporters in the the mid-October time period where this poll was taken remain undecided. Um, So that four-point cushion that Gloria holds is uh, within the margin of error for one. It's on, on, you know, it's about about a four-point lead and the margin of error is about 4.1%. So it it is a lead, but a small lead and not one that he could be especially comfortable with, especially in the circumstance where a third of voters still have not made up their minds. Um, now, digging a little bit deeper into that, and I think you sort of alluded to this about the, the coalition that Barbara Bree has stitched together, some really fascinating uh, crosstabs here with party registration um, that sort out, I think, essentially how you might have expected, uh, you know, after the results of the primary. 
but which nonetheless put in context how the race is playing out. 51% of Democrats support Todd Gloria. Uh, just 23% of Democrats support Barbara Bree, and a quarter are undecided. Barbara Bree, though, has a small lead among independent voters. 34% of them support her, whereas 29% support Gloria. So she has a, a thin five-point lead there, large share of undecided still. Uh, but then Bree has about the same uh, margin among Republicans as Gloria does among Democrats. So 47% of Republicans are supporting Bree and 15% are supporting Gloria. So what you said at the top is interesting in that Gloria has consolidated basically all of the institutional support in town behind his race. And voters seem to be getting the message that he is the choice of the Democratic Party, that he is the, the Democrat in the race, even though they're both Democrats, but but he is the the Democrat to vote for if you consider yourself a, a you know a, a Democrat in good standing, you're happy with the party, that sort of thing. Uh, and Barbara Bree, who's running a campaign, you know, her ads right now say the independent Democrat in the race. And I think that's basically reflected here. She's got a thin lead among Republicans and or a thin lead among independents. She's doing okay with Democrats. She's keeping Todd from running away with them. And then she's built her own large lead among Republicans. So uh, you've got this one-party race, um, but you still have a large number of Republicans in the city of San Diego, a lar not large enough to get a candidate into the runoff, not large enough to get a city council majority or even many city council uh, seats, but large enough that it can still uh, play a significant role in who wins this race. So we asked this question about um, the whether people thought that the city was going in the right direction. And the people who thought the city was going in the right direction seemed to line up with Todd Gloria. And the people who think that the city is going in the wrong direction seemed to line up with Barbara Bree. Now, this is a little bit weird considering that she's a current member of the San Diego City Council, uh, actual has actual governing influence right now at the city of San Diego, and yet she's captured people who think it's going in the wrong direction. Now, on the, on the one hand, that might seem like illogical. On the other hand, she really has tried to run a campaign that positions herself as an outsider to the governing coalition of the city. And in your reporting, Andy, you found that that was an intentional sort of strategy and, and narrative that her supporters are laying out, right? Like that, sh that if you think things should change, even though I'm part of the power structure right now, I'm the one to choose. So it kind of, uh, it kind of fit. Yeah. Yeah. So the numbers on this are a, almost a perfect mirror image. Uh, 44% of people who say the city's going is on the wrong track support Barbara Bree. And 44% of people who say the city's on the right track support Todd Gloria. Mm, fascinating. Um, yeah. And it's 25% uh, of people say it's on the right track support Barbara Bree. 26% of people who say it's on the wrong track support Todd Gloria. So uh, what is being said in the, this campaign by Barbara Bree is something that voters seem to be hearing and responding to. One thing that I thought was kind of fascinating about this was the way that their different um, groups of supporters seem to fracture between voters and their most high-profile like endorsers or campaign supporters. So um, Barbara Bree has the support of several uh, prominent, you know, black leaders in the community like Genevieve Jones-Wright, and yet it looks like black voters um, are preferring Todd Gloria. Um, Todd Gloria has the support of a lot of Latino leaders, including the Democratic Party chair, Will Rodriguez-Kennedy, and yet Latino voters um, are gravitating toward Barbara Bree. So it's really interesting how all these different groups of people are shaking out for two different Democrats. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. I, I also, just one thing to add here is that by like, you know, essentially a three to two ratio, voters in the city think that the city is on the right track, not the wrong track. So if you were going to hitch your wagon to to one of those, I, I think you'd you'd probably 
under normal circumstances want to go with the, the larger group and more people do think it's headed in the right direction. Uh, but nonetheless, it's 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 very interesting, the symmetry around how the, the voters are, are sorting themselves here. Yeah. And I think uh, this if this result is is accurate measurement of the of the of the perceptions of the voting and likely voters in the in the city, then it, it does fit with Barbara Bree's decision to pour a ton of money in this race to try to capture these remaining undecideds, uh, remaining voters. Right now, about 50% of voters have already cast their vote. But that means there's still 50% who haven't. You know, that means there's still like almost a million people who haven't voted. And and that's in the region. But then, so break that down, there's still a few hundred thousand votes maybe out there uh, for the grabs. And so then the question becomes like, how will all those people break? If there's a huge Democratic wave, seems like Todd Glory is in a really good position to ski, to surf that in. And if, uh, if, if there's a lot of discontent, if Todd Glory is seen as sort of an incumbent type figure and the undecideds break instead for this opposition, this different thing uh, that she's put together, then it could be a really interesting night. So... I think uh, uh, the numbers were just, uh, I could stare at them in the different crosstabs for hours. I have. The undecideds, who are they? What do, what do they think? You know, if they're a, there's a large number of them and they're going to essentially determine who wins this race, who are they? Uh, 38% of the undecideds are Democrats. So Todd Gloria is winning with Democrats and the largest share of undecided voters are Democrats. That sounds good, right? 34% of them are independents and a quarter of them are Republicans. Here's the problem, though, for, for Assemblyman Gloria, I think. Um, the overall electorate with which he has just a four-point lead is 47% Democrats, 30% independents, and 22% Republicans. So it is true that he does well with the largest group of people that make up the undecided voters, but it also is a share of Democratic voters that is far lower than the electorate as a whole, where he doesn't have that large of a lead that he can coast to. You know, it's, and it's a it's a first past the post system. So whoever gets one vote over 50 percent wins. So he's got to find a way to essentially get 14 percent of the votes before Barbara Bree can get 18 percent of the votes in the in that undecided chair. And, you know, the, the composition of the undecided suggests uh, that he has he's going to have he's going to do less well with them as he did in the electorate as a whole. All right. Well, that obviously was just one thing we tested. So cool to have numbers like that. So cool and great story by Andy pulling together different takes on how the race is going to play out. Again, Barbara Breeze put a ton of money, $550,000 of her own um, wealth into the final few days, probably more to come as she makes that final pitch, that final effort uh, lot. Nobody's leaving anything on the table. The other race that we've been watching and talking about for months now is this District 3 County Supervisor race. The county supervisors, the future of the county supervisors is in the balance of, on this race. Either could be led by the most conservative board it's had in, in recent decades, or it could be led by the most liberal board it's ever had. And that is all resting on the District 3 County Supervisor race. There is an incumbent, Kristen Gaspar, and there's a challenger, Tara Lassen-Reamer, a Democrat, who, if she wins, of course, takes it in that liberal direction. We have numbers on that that are a lot uh, more lopsided than this mayor's race. Tara Lawson-Reamer is at 42% of likely voters saying she would get their vote, uh, and then 31% say that they're in for the incumbent, Kristen Gaspar. Uh, Sarah, Jesse Marks did a great piece on, on the realities of this race, and it seems like overwhelmingly the Democrats' effort, very undifficult, by the way, to connect Gaspar to President Trump has been very significant and, and influential in this. Yeah, we've certainly seen races before, like the city council race in which Lori Zaff was ousted and she had no real connection to Donald Trump other than being a member of his party, whereas that's not the case with Kristen Gaspar. She went to the White House. She's gone on Fox News to defend some of his... Um, more provocative comments. Um, so it's it's not a hard tie. 
Um, but it sure seems to be paying. Yeah, it was a real mistake to <laughs> to cut that ad for Trump steaks. Be like, <laughs> yeah, and she's been um, kind of acknowledging that, and she she seems like she's trying to have it both ways in terms of defending um, those decisions and saying, "Well, I did it because I'll work with anyone, including Nathan Fletcher," um, and trying to paint herself as bipartisan. Um, and then in the same breath, you know, attacking liberals and, and Democrats. Um, so it seems like she might be flailing a little bit. Uh, and the poll numbers kind of bear that out. Although this is another race where there are a, a lot of undecideds remaining. Um, you know, I was just today going through our old Voices of the Voters posts um, where we survey people who are voting on Election Day back when that was the way most people voted. Um, and four years ago when Gaspar was first running for this seat, um, so many voters, um, told us, you know, there was a really hot congressional race, uh, with Daryl Issa being challenged. And they said, I really didn't, I don't know what a county supervisor does. So, uh, just going to leave this race alone. Couldn't tell you who these people are or what this job is. Um, so that was kind of some interesting perspective as we politicos have been watching this race really closely. And yeah. I don't know if, you know, those people in the last four years have learned what a county supervisor does. No. Right. And but even then, she was able to oust an incumbent, though, an incumbent who was just bedeviled by a bunch of scandals uh, at that time. Dave Roberts, uh, the, the lone Democrat at that time on the board in 2016. Uh, I'll remember famously that night, Andrew Bowen uh, from KPBS asked Kristen Gaspar if she supported Donald Trump, the president, in the race, and she said she indeed did, and that was one. I, hmm? I believe that was in the primary. So that was primary election night because then there was a whole other wave where she renounced her support of him after the Access Hollywood tape ahead of the general. Uh, oh. That he, uh, so it was it was it was primary night that she said that, which was interesting because it was like. It seemed like uh, maybe it had not fully set in yet just how divisive a figure he would be and how uh, ill-conceived a otherwise mundane statement like I supported the Republican. Uh, I think it's important to support the you know the party ticket uh, turned out to be. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I sorry, timing is. I have no sense of time anymore. It's been completely obliterated by age and this pandemic. But yes, that's exactly what happened and. Um, I think uh, there was another similar dynamic to the mayor's race in this race as well. When we asked how the county is going, we asked people if it was going in the right direction or wrong direction. The people who said it was heading in the wrong direction tended to support Kristen Gaspar, who's part of the governing board of the county. And um, and then the group who feel like the uh, the county is going in the right direction supported Tara Lawson-Reamer, who's trying to oust one of the members who's leading it. Uh, it. Again, it could be confounding logically, or if you have a perception that the county is headed in a sort of progressive direction, uh, then you might want to support the, the liberal progressive who's running. Or, and if you, if you do, you know, and Kristen Gaspar as an incumbent has presented herself as somewhat of an outsider looking in, a critic of the direction in some ways, and um, and so it kind of makes sense she might she might gain those voters. I would add, I, th I think this maps onto this well in both the mayor's race and the county supervisor's race. You saw the same dynamic with people who um, approved or disapproved of the county or city's response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, those who disappro disapproved of the county's uh approach to the pandemic are going for Gaspar. Those who disapproved of the city's approach are going for Bree. Those who approved of the county's approach are going with Tara Lawson-Reamer. Those who disapprove are going or who approve are going with Todd Gloria. So it, it's like voters are picking up the adversarial relationship between these figures and the boards and governments that they're seeking to represent. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, that race, again, we'll be watching that closely. Like uh, Sarah said, it seems like 
what county supervisors do is still mysterious, but let me just tell you, it matters and will have a major impact how this race goes uh, from everything from food assistance to uh, to how county workers uh, are benefited and compensated. A lot to be uh, discussed and revealed there. All right, well, there was some other uh, data. So the po- political races we just sort of added on to this. We, we wanted to kick off this poll as a way to check in with voters about their trust, what they feel about all of these issues. In particular, this pandemic has eviscerated so much of our lives you know, to rebuild, we're going to have to have trust, including, you know, with what happened in June with the George Floyd killing in Minnesota and the, and the backlash uh, and unrest around the country after that, you know, trust in police is something we wanted to gauge and, and how that would go up. And in the list of trusted institutions in the community, police did pretty well, but there was a really interesting result uh, when we asked if County residents would support reallocating police funding to some of the sort of social uh, expenditures that might be made, uh, things like mental health services, substance abuse treatment, and job training programs. Yeah, those things. Uh, they There was a, a lot more people who wanted to see that happen than who didn't want to see it. Now, not a majority, but 49% said they wanted to see that real reallocation occur, and 41% said that they uh, didn't. And so there seems to be a little bit of a mandate there to do some of the kinds of reinvestment of some of those money to deal with things that maybe police shouldn't be deployed to deal with. Yeah, and there were, you know, as you might expect, some big splits depending on who you were, who you... Um, identify as, um, you know, the vast majority of people who identified as Democrats and independents actually um, said they supported reallocating funding and a huge, huge majority of those who self-identified as Republican um, opposed it, Um, which was interesting to me because, you know, it's not surprising to me that a lot of Republican voters um, oppose this type of a shift. Um, But the fact that uh, a majority or a plurality of Democrats support it is interesting given the way we've seen these conversations play out at all levels of government um, in which, you know, institutions controlled by Democrats have declined to make some of these changes. And so um, I thought it was notable that, you know, Democratic voters seem to want to see this happen. And it's overwhelmingly been Democratic politicians who have ensured that it has not yet happened. There was an interesting split with uh, with women and people of color, right, too? Yeah, so a majority of women and people of color um, supported reallocating funding. Um, and then when it came to, I think men um, were really evenly split, just, just men alone. Um, of course, if you add another identifier, Republican men are overwhelmingly opposed. Um, I believe white men are opposed, um, but just men alone were about 45, 45, um, I recall. Um, so yeah, just the various ways that it breaks down, um, can tell you a lot. I thought this was an interesting one as well, because it put some meat on the bone of a discussion that I think has suffered from, uh, unspecific terminology. Um, the... You know, movements need uh, broad titles and and titles that that stir feelings in people. So I, I don't in any way begrudge people from uh, operating on some sort of shorthand about what they want to 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 do. But the defund the police movement has been something that has been easily you know caricatured into something that only a radical would support. Um, but when then when you phrase it very specifically, uh, do you support reallocating some amount of police funding for other specific topics that are still directed in the in the direction of uh, public safety, it actually turns out that it's, it doesn't seem to be viewed as a radical proposal at all. Yeah, and that's kind of actually made um, 
some of the politicians' stances on it a lot more confounding to me. So I went through and, you know, parsed what Todd Gloria and what Barbara Bree have said about it. And they both wrote op-eds in the Union Tribune saying, I don't support defunding the police. Um, <laughs> defunding the police isn't the right strategy. And then they would kind of go on to say, well, we should give more funding to social services and like pay credence to this exact idea or concept um, while at the same time saying they don't support it. And the same was true of Attorney General Javier Becerra when he was speaking at PolitiFest. He he was clear and he said, defunding the police is not something I could ever support. And then in almost the same breath, he'd say, but, you know, there are situations that the police aren't equipped to handle. And I, in a perfect world, um, you know, social workers would be responding to certain things and mental health workers would be responding to certain things. And the police would only be called for really true public safety emergencies. And so it really does seem to be a branding um, semantics issue. They, they say they don't support it, but also they support it. <laughs> well, and and also like... Using the budget to hold uh, a government effort accountable is a very fiscally conservative ideal. It's the whole concept behind fiscal conservatism. Prove your value, use it efficiently, and be accountable to people who want to hold you accountable. It's In one very specific instance that conservatives uh, appeal to quite a bit is that you know that they would say that their desire to cut education funding is not because they oppose public education but because they do not believe that there is a one to one relationship to dollars spent and outcomes uh except it, that logic seems to fall apart when we refer over to stpd bill yeah and there's a couple of other curveballs here too like the police officers association will tell you you know the union for police officers that they don't want to do some of these things they have to do in order to, they're the front lines of so many mental health crises, of so many uh, homelessness issues that they will be the first to tell you like, that's not what we want. That's not what we signed up for. That's not what we're good at. We should have different things there. And then finally, on the point about like some of these conservatives, there are some of the first who are directly willing to go after the compensation and the pension benefits of of, of officers like uh, Kristen Gaspar and the County Board of Supervisors with the lone Democrat opposed uh, rather dramatically lowered the pension benefits that police officers in the county that deputy sheriffs were going to get for their long term. Uh, you know, that's a defunding effort as clear as it gets. Like they literally lowered their compensation. Like it's and so you don't call that defunding, but there is always an argument that there's money available, maybe being misused and should be used in a different way that's going to certain areas. Uh, all right. One other note just about this issue. You actually broke down the numbers of people who are willing and want to support reallocating some of the money from the police officers and police department and compared that in the crosstabs with the mayor's race. And this was fascinating, right? They both, Barbara Bree and, as you said, Todd Gloria have the exact same position on this issue, but the ones, the people who who want to see that defunding or reallocation occur overwhelmingly support Todd Gloria, who has the support of the police officers union, and don't support Barbara Bree, who has probably a few more of the of the activists on this topic in her camp. It was fascinating. Yes. Uh, now... Like telling a clear narrative about how voters are picking all of that up and <laughs> and making their conclusions, I can't do that. It's like they both say the same thing. Voters are clearly aligning themselves between them very differently, and yet their supporters actually point in the opposite direction of that alignment. So I don't know. <laughs> shrug, shrug emoji on that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, fascinating results. Now, I wanted to go over one other thing here. We we had people talk about the problems in the community that they were either extremely or very concerned about. And we ended up coming up with a ranking. The top problem probably isn't too much of a surprise. 85% of people, respondents of our 712 respondents on this question 
believed that the economic impact of um, of the virus was uh, either very or extremely concerning. Uh, the health impact of the virus was actually the fifth one down, um, but the second the second problem that people were either very or extremely concerned about was the cost of housing and rent. And the third was homelessness, both of them very closely related. Lisa Alverstadt sort of rounded up the, the, that the consensus on that has been clear. Now, the consensus about what to do has not, but housing and rent is the second thing people are most concerned about in this community, very or extremely concerned about. Did that surprise you at all? Well, it surprised me that it stayed such a salient topic even after the pandemic. My understanding from just talking to other people involved in politics was that these two issues had emerged as the clear top priority to people. This was back in January and February. Uh, and, and I guess I would have just thought that that they would have been tamped down based on people changing their concerns around uh, you know, race relations or, or uh, policing, you know, police community relations or uh, the pandemic and the economic fallout from it. Uh, but that either doesn't seem to be the case or the pandemic fallout has made has kept these issues just as important because uh, obviously housing represents such a large share of people's budget. Yeah. The Voice of San Diego Election Draft, 2020, November edition. Are you all ready for this? It's it's a draft, not a monster truck rally, <laughs> maniac. <laughs> all right, here's this is, the rules. This is not the grave digger. We are going to go through, as we always do before election, a snake draft. We're going to pick each three elections, uh, three campaigns or contests that we're going to be following. And then, of course, on election night, we'll go back through and see how they turned out. We have uh, drawn straws across the internet. Sarah will start. We can, just to be clear, we can go through either state or local contests, measures, uh, or candidates, things you want to watch. Doesn't necessarily mean they're the closest. Doesn't necessarily mean it's the most, you know, consequential. It just means that this is what we want to look for, and we're calling it that this is going to be a real interesting thing to watch on election night. So say your pick, explain it briefly, and we'll have a little discussion. Sarah Libby, you're up first. All right, with the first pick in the 2020 Voice of San Diego draft, I'm going with Proposition 22. Despite your caveats, it is close and it is consequential. This is the measure that would exempt app-based drivers from AB5, the law that uh, limits the use of independent contractors. It's got uh, San Diego roots. Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez wrote AB5, the law that, you know, has kicked off all of this. Um, just obscene amounts of money being spent by the apps, um, over $200 million at this point, well over $200 million. A record, right? Most yeah. expensive uh, prop campaign ever. Yeah, and we're also seeing them, you know, employ um, the networks and technology that they've built um, for campaigning in a new way. I've gotten lots of, you know, DoorDash emails. I don't know about you guys um, telling me to support Prop 22. It's got national attention. Um, AOC weighed in this week. It's it's drawn attention from almost all of the one-time Democratic presidential contenders 
So it's just, I think it's the hottest thing on the ballot by far and definitely one that I'm going to be watching really closely. It's really illustrative of how big of a cost it would be to these companies if this if this happens or if this fails by based on how much they're willing to spend. They're, they're literally making a calculation that $200 million is less than what they're going to have to pay in either minimum wage or other benefits to these workers or what they'll lose by leaving California because they can't comply or don't want to comply with this requirement that would essentially make them put their drivers on as part-time or full-time employees with flexible schedules or whatever, but guarantees that come along with that. Yeah, I think one thing I'll also say this race has figured into, or this has proposition has figured into the mayor's race. Barbara Bree has uh, made this part of her anti-establishment campaign. Um, the other thing I would say, it, there's a bit of a convention center quality to this in that uh, even if the app-based companies lose, we're, we can't say for sure that this is over. They've got uh, legal challenges that will that would then become even more important, right? Is that right? Yeah, there are kind of legal challenges on both sides of the equation. So there are people suing the apps um, in order to get their benefits, and then the apps are suing the state um, to challenge the law. But essentially, right. the courts so far have lined up that said, yeah, you, you need to make these people employees. And if Prop 22 doesn't pass then they will essentially either have to do that or stop operating. Yeah, it hasn't been close on the legal side of things. The courts have uniformly said that they need to make these people employees. Mm -hmm. It will be, California will definitely be a different place uh, depending on how that measure goes. And like you said, there was a poll that showed it a couple of points ahead, but very close. I think I'm going off the board here a little bit, but with the second pick in the Voice of San Diego anticipation draft, I'm taking Measure B, San Diego Measure B. Wow. The uh, the Police Oversight Commission. Uh, here's why. Um, I think when in the summer, when every city in the country, especially including San Diego, was seeing nightly protests that were larger in scale and intensity than than most cities have have experienced any time recently, and Mayor Faulkner uh, decided uh, at a press conference that he was going to support this measure uh, and that he declared that it would be on the ballot. The police officers' association essentially got out of the way. Uh, there were not significant changes made to the measure. I think it was considered like a, a fait accompli that it was going to pass. And that that may be the case. That that may, in fact, be the case. But I'll be very interested in seeing the margin because uh, it's not June anymore. It's We are not seeing daily protests. And, you know, national polls have shown that there was a huge uptick in support for Black Lives Matter uh, among all Americans and that that effect has, has dissipated since then and that Black Lives Matter has has fallen in its overall uh, approval rating. It's still above where it started, but a lot of the people that came around to, to some of these conversations in June and July uh, had a very fleeting relationship with that opinion. And so now with these topics off the front pages to some extent, I'm very interested to see how city voters react to a question that they haven't really been asked very much. Fair poll. All right. Little early in the draft, but sometimes that happens. You got. You... Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Any GM will tell you, you go up and get the guy that you want. Yeah. You do your scouting, and then you don't. You don't need to to get too too worked up about value because there's not going to be any value in getting somebody you don't want or seeing somebody that you do want play for your opponents. Understand. So you, you get. Yeah. <laughs> With the third pick. In the voice of San Diego, November 2020, pre-apocalypse draft, Scott Lewis picks the mayor's race. Sorry, San Diego mayor's right. race. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. You guys, I, you know, I have a bunch of other ones up here. I really am interested in it, and I had to sit here just a minute and just think, like, what do I really want to see first? 
And I got to say, it's the mayor's race. I want to see what happens. I'm really interested. You know, when the first results come out, we're going to have, what, 70% of the electric, maybe more. And and if Todd Gloria has like a like a one-point lead, could be crazy. Barbara Bree could have a one-point lead, and then Todd's late vote could overcome it. Or Todd Gloria could be up like 10 points. I don't know. I have no idea how this is going to come out. Yeah, we have our own poll that shows him up four points, but there's a lot of vulnerability there. Uh, I am just – and the future of the city I think is really different. I don't I don't really think – I mean, I, they have very similar policies, but I think that, uh, you know, this sort of YIMBY progression that the mayor, Kevin Faulkner, has been on, I think that gets thwarted pretty significantly. I think that there's a war about vacation rentals. Maybe not if Barbara Bree wins. I don't know. Uh, police departments probably, or the police officers probably not so excited if Barbara Bree wins. Uh, a lot of interesting questions, I think, that could come out of this. And I just, uh, I, I'm just really interested in it. Yeah, I think that's true. It's, it's funny to think back on the start of this race, especially when Scott Peters was still expected to be a potential candidate. And a very common conversation at that point was that Congressman Peters, Councilwoman Bree, and Assemblyman Gloria were all going to be running for the same race, and that there was going to be like massive overlap between all three of them, that they all were uh, very similarly moderate Democrats, you know, in good standing with the party, um, you know, in good standing with the business community. Um, and boy, it, the campaign has not gone that way. Um, but I think it'll, I think we'll learn a lot about where polit like setting the policy questions about what city hall looked like after the fact set, setting that aside briefly, although that's obviously more important, but I think we'll learn a, quite a bit about where the city of San Diego stands politically right now based on the outcome of this race. Yeah. So mayor's race, I think, um, obviously going to be turned into that. Snakes back around. Uh, I think I get to pick again, right? Oh, Correct. Yeah. All right. Well, this that's good because I do have another one that I'd really like to talk about, and that is Proposition 15. Uh, it's This is the statewide measure that would um, change property tax assessment. So right now, since the 70s, property taxes are assessed at 1% per the assessed value of your home or your property. And um, and then they can only grow, to, that assessment can only grow 2% per year. So it doesn't go along with the market value of that property. That's been Prop 13. That's been part of public affairs discussions for decades. When, you're, when you become a reporter in California, it's one of the first things you learn about is just uh, how big of a deal that is and has been on the state's finances and local school districts for decades. They, are, they came up with an idea to change it, uh, to change commercial properties so that they start being assessed at their true value for the first time ever. Now, to make that change is going to take a few years, but that's what they put in motion with Proposition 15. Uh, I really want to see what's going to happen with it. There, uh, I think it actually, in a way, entrenches Proposition 13, the old one, because it kind of protects it for residential properties, uh, but would would, would be effectively over the next few years, a really large increase in property taxes for like shopping centers, hotels, that sort of thing. Uh, it's just a gigantic deal. Prop 22, Prop 15, the way they go is the way California goes in so many ways. It just has enormous consequences and I'll be looking at it right away. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is like a third rail of California politics and uh, like we have touched it. We, we, we'd like, Touched it a little bit. We threw a stick on it. I don't know what we what we did, but uh, it yeah, it will be fascinating to see how this goes. I guess my expectation is it doesn't pass just because of how central it has been to California politics for so long. But that's what we get to find out. Yeah, teachers unions, public employee unions of all types have put in tons of money. It's uh, it's something they've been working on for a long time. Like I said, last decade they've been planning just this. Uh, and um, and yet there were a lot of Democrats locally we noticed who weren't willing to um, come out and support it outright, which I didn't think was a great sign for it. But who knows? All right. All right. This snakes back to Andy. You are in for the fifth pick in the Voice of San Diego pre-apocalypse November 2020 poll. 
Boy, all right. I, you know, there's people at the top of the consensus board are still sitting there, obviously. But I just, that's just not what I want to take home with me today. So I will be taking, oh, this is tough. I'll take um, District 5 City Council. I knew you were going to steal mine. I knew it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was I was uh, interested in that one too. Joe Leventhal, Republican, Marnie Von Wilpert, Democrat. This is the most conservative district of the city and could go to a Democrat. Yeah, I just it's like we've mostly repositioned our understanding of city politics around Democrats as the dominant force. And this is just like how much we need to reassess that understanding. Like if a Democrat can win in this seat, at least right now, at least in as long as Donald Trump is president, then like there's just basically not such thing as a significant role for Republicans in elected government in San Diego. Um, it would mean, you know, the, the D6 race that Chris Kate represents right now in two years would be yeah, obviously just like a, a glaring pickup opportunity. Um, so it. it it just would have been so hard to imagine that this was in play. Yeah, I mean, certainly four, six years ago, but but even two years ago, it would have been hard to imagine that this was in play. And yet it very much seems to be in play. And I, uh, I'm fascinated to see. Now, I think there's still a very good chance that Joe Leventhal wins, certainly. And I think uh, in the grand scheme of things, you'd, you'd, you'd have to say that that's still like the broad expectation. Yeah, I think you um, can just picture though, like just like in 2008 when Obama won and just swept, everybody swept through all Democrats yeah. who were in contested races did really well. Now this race in particular had a uncontested council race. Carl DeMaio was running in that and he easily stepped in obviously without much of a challenge. But yeah, I mean that time every every conceivable battleground went Democrats, except for the city attorney's race, which was its own little anomaly. But um, but you can kind of picture the revolt against Trump here being so big. And in fact, I've talked to a few Democrats who were trying to warn their, their, their colleagues like, hey, we kind of had it easy with this Trump thing locally. Like, yeah, it's not totally. going to be this easy in 2022 unless Trump gets uh, elected again. Uh, and yeah. and you know, it's really easy to just run against Trump, 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 Trump. But uh, but this might be the last year where it's that clear, but it could be really clear. Yeah, I talked to a couple Democrats in town who said that exact thing. Uh, you know, the one thing they said is, I guess it all depends how the Republican Party reacts after this. Do they um, sort of continue on this current trajectory or do they try to rebrand themselves? And and that is important to remember, like political coalitions are fluid. Things change. Politics changes. There's the idea of like demogra uh, demographics as destiny or like a permanent majority status um, are ideas that pretty much gets just get disproven time and again. So uh, steer clear of those. But it's just this would be such a remarkable bellwether about just how bad things are for Republicans right now. All right. I should say, you know, it, it doesn't happen with anyone. Marty Van Wolpert's a, a the right candidate for that district, and which is, I think, a big part of why uh, it's close. Like the right Democratic. Candidate, yeah, yeah, say. and she might be one of the most conservative Democrats if she it's on there. So it's it's not, right. uh, you know, she wasn't willing, for instance, to endorse Proposition Fifteen, that sort of thing. So, uh, all right, Sarah comes back to you. Your second pick in this Voice of San Diego, November 2020 draft. All right. Well, Andy took my pick, so I'm going to switch things up and go with the 50th Congressional District. Mm. Um, if you would have asked me two years ago, maybe even one year ago, about this race, I think I would have said Daryl Issa is a lock. Um, you know, two years ago, voters in the 50th district um, went for Duncan Hunter, even when he was under fe federal indictment. 
um, which to me showed, you know, they they will elect any Republican. It is just such a strongly conservative district. And now I think Amar Kampanajar has a shot. I don't know if um, he's really going to do it, but I think there's a chance. And so um, it's made this really interesting. It seems like Daryl Issa might be a little bit scared. Yeah, he's pouring millions in. This is that exact type of race that a mark could easily win, but he should not get comfortable in Washington. Like, you know, like the, this is the most conservative district in California. If it goes for a Democrat, it's probably unlikely to stand for one for a long time. But he has really tried to appeal the right wing so much so that it's caused him a lot of trouble on his left side. Uh, and he's been running. He knows the district super well. And he's obviously making uh, Daryl Issa sweat. Um, it's going to be a fascinating one to watch. I'm curious why you picked that over the 53rd. Um, I was wondering which congressional race might go first. 53rd, Georgia Gomez versus Sarah Jacobs. Um, seems less tense almost. Yeah, it does. I mean, that's a fascinating race too. But um, I think, you know, the suspense as far as it it's going to be a democrat and a pretty progressive democrat uh no matter who wins and this one um you know the differences are really stark yeah sarah you're up again yeah your third pick all right well i think i'm gonna try the andy school of thought i'm just gonna go with a race that i think is interesting maybe not the hottest Mm -hmm. one i'm gonna go with District two on the county board of supervisors. Yeah, baby. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so this is one where kind of like the 53rd, like these are both conservative Republicans, Joel Anderson and Steve Voss. Um, but they're really different and they're both really big personalities. They both have, you know, quite a bit of support um from Republicans across the county. Um, it's shaken out in different ways. And so I you know, I think Joel Anderson has a little more institutional support. Um, he, he got the, the endorsement of the, of, the, of the party, but Steve Voss got the endorsement of, of Diane Jacob, the incumbent, and all her money that she'd stashed up. And um, and then like Kevin Faulkner and other like institutional types like that. So, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, that's my pick. Great. Good. We had a good discussion about that one last week. I recommend if you had if you didn't check in on that. Um, wow, I didn't know D two County Soup race would go, but that's the beauty of the Voice of San Diego election draft. Could always go any imaginable imaginable direction. I expect a good one from you, Andy. Can I try to predict it? Yes, you can try to predict <laughs> it. I, I'm so torn. There are there's like one that I feel like should obviously be the pick. And I really hope that both of us pass on it because it would be perfect. Uh, yeah, it would be so on brand. And then there's one that's like not really off board, but like a little. Yeah, a little. And then there's I two think, that are. I think it's going to be one of us that picks it. And I yeah, think I know there's there's two totally off board that I was I was hoping uh, I would have to take, and and now I'm wondering if I can. I can justify taking them ahead of, uh, of, of All right. a little bit more obvious. I'm, Go ahead. What do you think? I'm. I think you're gonna pick. Well, I better not. Let's just hear it. Uh, I'm taking measure E. Yeah, I knew it. Damn it. Damn it. That's yeah. a shit. I should have just said it. Yeah. <laughs> but you wouldn't have picked I'm, it I'm if taking, I would have said it. That's true. Uh, <laughs> I'm taking measure E. I. I. It's just the. It's the. Uh, <clears throat> It's the first. It's the most recent attempt to amend the coastal height limit. Uh, SeaWorld successfully amended the coastal height limit previously, um, and I, I, it's just. Uh, it's not a perfect proxy for the city's views on increased development, but it is. It gets it gets us part of the way there into understanding how the city response to the idea of just making way for more market rate development as a means of alleviating housing costs, as a means of making way for more people, as a means of becoming a a denser and therefore more climate-friendly city. And um, I could could easily see the outcome go in either direction. Um, The 
the development proposal that the city has selected for now to redevelop the sports arena area hangs in the balance to some extent, although, you know, there's, there's a way forward without it, I guess. Um, but so th there's kind of a lot of things at play, but I think the, the main reason I'm interested in it is as, as, as close as we've got to a proxy on how city voters feel about, uh, about, you know, increased dense development for the city. Yeah. I mean, it, have we had as clear of a test of that idea that we should allow more construction of homes in a certain area of town as this, this seems like as clear as it gets. And, um, you know, it's, it's the, one, the one I would say is that the campaign against soccer city became yeah. like a reverse referendum on that. True. Um, and that got absolutely annihilated. We haven't um, seen a neighborhood on the ballot like this since Barrio Logan. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's yeah. fascinating to me is these decisions where citywide voters are weighing in on the fate of a very specific neighborhood, which has made clear what it wants um, with mm -hmm. its community plan. Um, and so the idea that citywide voters could could go against that is just a fascinating dynamic to me. Yeah, especially if they do it again. If, if right. it's like two for two for two that a community planning group picks its future with a community plan and voters kind of just say nah we don't agree with you yeah right twice yeah obviously this yeah. is uh, near and dear to my heart too it's right down the street It'll be interesting to see how uh that comes you talk about the neighborhood now there's a lot of people who claim that area around the coast as their neighborhood uh who would disagree that they are in support of it but that's part of the referendum you know this was put forward i think this is a big test for Jen Campbell, the representative of the area, uh, you know, she wants to be council president. She's the city council representative. Uh, she pushed this forward. You know, a really, really big step for somebody who represents this area to push something like that forward. And um, and so, yeah, I, I'm going to be watching that one super close. All right. I guess it's me with the last one, huh? Yep. I mean, the, like... <laughs> The obvious. I mean, we spent a not insignificant amount of money <laughs> to find out how this race looked, ostensibly because we thought it was no. really interesting. Do it. And, Pick the Vicedos water board, Scott. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. District three county supervisor is, is not what I'm picking. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I think funny. we will watch it and we will report back on how it goes. It's very important. But I, yeah, I just can I, can I guess what you're doing yeah, instead? Yeah, Encinitas Mayor. <laughs> no, that's not. Oh. <laughs> that's a that was a really good guess, though. In fact, I maybe should actually. <laughs> that's, that really knows me better than I know me. Uh, Julie Thunder versus the incumbent Catherine Blake Spirit. Great idea. Real referendum on on housing and other things there. Um, you know, Blakespear's been out front on public transportation on trying to lead the region in this in these discussions, and she could get just, uh, you know, pushed back uh, for it pretty decisively, or not. Here's what I'm going to do: the school board races. Uh, and can I just wrap in? Is that not fair? Yeah, just take three of them. Sure. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I well, okay. I wanted to do measure C, which was going to be the governance of the school board. Okay. Um so you take both school board ballot measures and all three school school board and, elections. Yeah. And also and get kind the of the Encinitas mayor's race. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and get, and, and that, well, give you the county board of uh, election as well or of education yeah. as well, you know. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, I, I get all of them. But yes, I am going to look right away. I think that it, obviously the, the 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 school board candidates who got the support of the San Diego Education Association, the teachers union, including a coloring book that was sent to my house, which was not my favorite piece of mail with all the despair and angst I'm feeling about schools, whatever, uh, you know, I think they obviously have the advantage, but does it come close at all? Does any of them come close? Uh, and then, you know, do we decide to change how that works? Like, should I be voting on the school board rep for for southeastern San Diego like I am now? 
And I'm not sure that in the future I will based on Measure C. So if you make me do it, I will watch specifically the, I think it's uh, sub-district, is it E? The uh, um, southeastern, uh, uh, Lawana, Lawana Richmond versus the incumbent Sharon Whitehurst Payne in that district. That's the one I'm really closely watching. Uh, and uh, and whether the governance of school board gets adjusted in Measure C or not. So I, yeah, I did take a lot, but uh, I think they're pretty strung together. Before we go, just a quick note. We'll be dropping an episode the day after the election. We'll be giving our takes on the results as they are on election night. That will be in your feed Wednesday morning. Be sure to subscribe so you do not miss it. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast. It's the most popular public affairs podcast in San Diego. Just saying that straight. No caveats here. Keep up with more results and stories from the Voice poll and all our coverage with the Morning Report. Get that at VOSD.org slash morning. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief, Sarah Libby's Managing Editor, Andrew Keats's Assistant Editor. This show is produced by Nate John. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Music.